This is the Innovation Engine Podcast. Since 2014, we've been bringing you talks with some of the world's leading authorities on innovation. Topics we cover include emerging trends and technologies, corporate leadership, company culture, and more. Coming to you from Three Pillar Global's headquarters in Fairfax, Virginia, here's your host, Will Sherlin. Welcome back to the Innovation Engine Podcast. On this week's episode, we'll be looking at the power of the corporate why with James Quigley. Among the topics we'll discuss are why establishing and communicating your corporate why is vital in order to have inspired team members, how knowing what the corporate why is can fuel innovation on a product and individual level, and how a company called Canvas is revolutionizing the way data is submitted and collected through mobile. James Quigley is the CEO and co-founder of Canvas, and he has a long history of building successful wireless companies. Prior to Canvas, he was vice president and managing director at Encode Wireless, which was later acquired by VeriSign. Other successful startups with which he has worked include Aether Systems, Orbcom, and Peak Technologies, formerly a division of R.R. Donnelly. James has won numerous awards for corporate leadership, including being named one of 2012's top 50 CEOs by the Center for Innovative Technology, one of the top 20 global executives in his field by CLO Magazine and the World Supply Chain Forum, and one of the top 15 DC startup CEOs to follow on Twitter. In 2007, his team designed and delivered a mobile solution that was used for tracking deadly global pandemics, an application that ultimately won the Motorola Wireless Solution of the Year Award. In the interest of full disclosure, his company, Canvas, is a client of Three Pillar Globals. Welcome to the podcast, James. Hello. Hey, Will. How are you? Doing well. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for the invite. Pleasure to talk to you today. Absolutely. So let's kick things off today talking about the concept of the corporate why, because that's one of the things on your LinkedIn profile that jumped out at me when I was looking at possible topics for a podcast discussion. So it may be self-explanatory, but what is the corporate why and why are you so passionate about it? Yeah, no. Um, and uh, it's uh, something that uh, we are incredibly passionate about. And um, it ultimately um, leads back to um, this idea that people, organizations who form relationships with another company or even another person, per se, that your deepest connections come when you link to someone's motivation, their why, why they do something versus what they do or how they do it. And um, I, I'm, I'm certainly channeling Simon Sinek in, in this, which he, he does a very good job of, um, of discussing this point of um, uh, in something he calls the golden circle. But ultimately, if you think about the relationships that we have with products that we're wildly passionate about, authentically passionate about, it's because we believe in the things they believe in. And when you believe in something, in, in the things that others believe in, you will follow someone incredibly passionately, right? You, 
it, it's it's sort of the reason why if you, if you think of um, Apple versus uh, even uh, Dell computers, right? Um, in that you know Apple believes that with amazing design, it, innovative products that don't require an on-off switch, um, that anybody can experience technology. When you think of Dell, you think they're a computer company that can produce, you know, um, fantastic computers, uh, right? And so you, you almost think of those companies differently. And, and it's the reason why for someone like Apple, you'd buy a, a phone from them, you'd buy a laptop from them. Shoot, if Apple came out with a car tomorrow, people will buy that car. But we, we can't even laughably, with any, with, with any you know, sense of seriousness, think that if Dell were to produce um, a car, that someone would buy a Dell. Well, Dell is a computer company, right? Uh, and because that's how they've set themselves up. This is what they, they have connected with their audience. They've connected by what they do and how they do it. And, and so I've always been a big believer that when you, un, when you take the time to understand what your why is, why you do what you do, your relationships with your customers change, your relationships with your employees change. It change it, and and therefore, the connections you create uh, in that circle outwards from the why are very very different as an organization. It's one of the reasons why when you come into our offices, we we put um, it's a, uh, a a great uh, quote from Peter Drucker um, that is a uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Is that ultimately the culture of an organization should sit above the strategy. And it, it, it's very similar to this idea, again, that your why um, is, is more important than your what and your how. Um, and that allowed us as an organization to, I say change, but for us to continue to grow in what we deliver to our customers. And they accept it because they know, hey, our why, we, we believe as an organization that if we can help you more dynamically collect and share information, it's gonna change how you connect, connect, not how you connect and learn about your business, whether it's internal to your company or how you share information out to your customers and how they learn about you. And when people connect with us on that, then when we roll out new features, new products that, that, that continue to extend things, um, they go, of course you're gonna release products like that uh, because that's what you do. And, and we believe in, in that as well versus if we were the, the company in uh, Canvas's um, um, you know, world, it might translate in the following that if we were the company that replaces your paper forms with a digital version, when we released a business intelligence tool, they're going to go, why are you doing that? You're the guys who do this. You do the what and the how for me in this fashion versus you're connected with me. So, yeah, the, 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 the idea of the corporate why is uh, is wildly important to us. It, it really sits at the base of everything we do as a company. Um, I'll add one more thing too: is we take this idea not just as a corporate strategy, but each department within our company embraces this in their own way. So our sales group, when they have conversations with customers, the first thing they try to do is understand our customers' why. So um, and our marketing team 
uh, understands and makes sure that how we communicate what we do is from is that we put ourselves in our customer's position of understanding their why too and communicating. It's why a lot of our marketing um, pieces actually show you in the position of using our product. Sort of our silent little um, gentle head nod to that we're, we're constantly thinking about the why because we're putting ourselves in your position too. Yeah. And one thing you also mentioned on your LinkedIn profile is that you love something I imagine most people don't, which is hiring. So what is it about yeah. finding people that share your why and bringing them into your organization that really gets you fired up? Yep. So, um, again, to, to, to channel, uh, um, other, uh, famous technologists who've, who've used this line is that, um, there is an interesting reality is that um, especially with an organization in which how we've set up our company, because we, we've set up our company in a pretty unique fashion. It's, it's got some very standard things that you'd expect to see in a company. And then it's got some experimental components of how we're organized. Um, and um, when I say that, what I mean is that we tried and have continued to strive to create uh, an organization that has elements that are, are extremely flat, especially when it comes to product development. Mm -hmm. So when that is the case, um, that we've tried to limit the authoritative, authoritative power that a very hierarchical organization would have, which is great for the CEO. Shoot, it'd be great for me. I can make all the decisions and tell you what to do, and the next tier tells the next tier what to do. That we've tried to find ways to limit that or, or, or to empower people further down the chain, especially when it comes to product components and, what, and the things that we build. So if we're going to embrace that, then this truism really becomes just complete fact, which is that the organization only works then when we hire A players because we're empowering people at the lowest levels to make more and more decisions, right? And so if you're going to do that and going to embrace a strategy like that, which is not for every company, but I'm a big believer that technology companies today where disruption is happening faster and faster, that you need to empower more and more of your company to make faster decisions, then you need to hire A players. Um, and the funny thing is, if you get enough A players in a group, a department, hopefully in a company, those people only want to work with A players. And um, it, it is an interesting element is that when you start hiring B players, who may smell like A players, when you start hiring B players, and it's to no fault of their own, it's just how they're wired with the amount of, of, of elements of ego that come into this is that A players want to win. They don't care how they win some cases. They, they want to win and they realize that it takes nine players on a team. It takes 20 players on a team to win and then they can't win alone. And so they tend to hire people that are better than them, which is amazing. And in B player land, they certainly want to win, but they're also constantly got that element of ego where they're going, 
but I can't hire someone better than me. The, 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 there's some element that holds them back. And so what happens is, is B players will let slip in other B players or worse yet, they'll hire C players because they just want to get a job done. One particular, hey, I'm hiring you for this job. You got to get this job done and you can do it. I'm sure you could get this job done versus, hey, this company needs to win. And so I love hiring. Uh, I'd like to say we're great at it. I, I, I think we're, we're good at it. We, we work extra, extra hard at it. Um, I think we're getting better at it. And how we overcome this is we, we just work really, really hard at trying to hire A players. But um, the nice thing is when you, sudden, when you see your team and your company and a department filling up with A players – is that they self-regulate, self-manage themselves, and then they do amazing things together, things you wouldn't expect to. And, and uh, because they're all, you know, they're, if someone's having a down day, there are eight other players and they're all A's that are picking, you know, that are picking things up and moving it along. So I, I love um, hiring um, A players. It, it's, uh, I learned from them, right? They're, they're in, in many cases, shoot, uh, smarter than me. Uh, and so uh, they're going to take our company in, in amazing directions. And so, yeah, you mentioned kind of the, the flat hierarchy, especially when it comes to product development. How do you go about, do you just capture feedback from all corners of the organization when you're looking to develop new applications? Kind of talk a little bit about that as you put it into practice. Right. And, and I will say too, this is a this is an ongoing experiment in these components, and and it's um, the, the the metaphor is is not done right. There's there's parts of this even within our, our our own company that are that we we continue to explore and find ways to do better, and this is one of those areas that we're we're constantly exploring. So the concept is at its at its nadir, at its at its peak, when it's operating at full efficiency, how does this feel? Well, it feels that actually, instead of just gathering requirements from everyone, which by the way everybody does, right? They have suggestion boxes and digital suggestion boxes, and we hey, we'd love your input. Is that the ultimate dream? Is that people would be empowered and rewarded to bring great ideas. Um, forward and to to bring those ideas forward not just in a suggestion box but that if they were passionate enough about those ideas that they would actually go to the team members who could make that idea a reality so they would go to the developers and the marketers and say hey i've got a great idea and that our ultimate concept would be that we'd give a certain amount of time um, to those people who are on the front line of creating our products and give them the availability to work on the things they want to work on. And therefore, they would self-regulate and go, okay, I, I think what I've just heard here from this salesperson is, is one of the best ideas for me to take my extra time and work on. So it is, it is something that we've gone back and forth on. Actually, by the way, um, our partnership with Three pillars has given us greater capability by having more development resources to be able to explore with that. And I'll give you a great example. One of the things that actually Three Pillars is working on now 
um, came from an idea that came from within the staff. It wasn't just a suggestion. We asked that team to actually champion the idea. Hey, go gather the requirements, go talk to people, go talk to customers, go talk to developers. And when the idea got further and further fleshed out, we realized we needed more and more developers to work on this idea. And we let this idea sort of move forward on its own. Um, so it's not about, hey, take your ideas forward. But our ultimate goal would be that the engineers and the designers, the developers would have more freedom to listen to those ideas and enact them without having to necessarily go and um, um, you know, uh, take them and then they put them in a big pile and review what's going to go forward like a suggestion box. So we're sort of somewhere operating in a hybrid model now where that's the nirvana point. Um, and, uh, but our goal is not just to be listening to things and putting it in a suggestion box, if that makes sense. Sure. So, so let me ask a little bit about Canvas specifically and about how innovation plays a role in your company and its products. For listeners who may not be familiar with Canvas, can you give a little info on the background of the company, on what your suite of products and applications, which there are more of 20,000 now, uh, enable businesses to do? Yeah. So our, our, our big why, so we, there's an amazing way of visualizing this problem, the why. And, uh, and that is if someone's come to your house and fixed something recently or you've gone to a doctor's office or you've registered a child for school, you've probably been immediately surprised that what comes as the record of that interaction is on a piece of paper. So someone's fixed your dishwasher at your home, and what you get back is a copy of a work order filled out on paper that's typically filled out at the very end with the guy sitting at your dining room table. Or if you're in a doctor's office, you're grabbing that clipboard and filling in information. And, you're, and all of us have had those moments. You go, what, what is going on? It's 2016. Why are we – is this still the thing? And so imagine those are the processes you see. That's sort of the, the tip of the iceberg. But imagine all of the processes you don't see. And someone's fixing a, 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 a fire suppression system. Someone's doing a, filling out a test. Someone's inspecting something, selling something, servicing something, um, collecting information on something. And 90 to 92% of all of those processes that uh, are remote and where it starts with some data being collected and, and then what happens from that point is still a majority of those companies still use paper as the predominant means of driving that process. And for us, that's the visual cue that holy mackerel, you, you, that process could be improved dramatically. So our concept at, at Canvas was to provide a platform that was really, really simple to use, easy, elegant, economical, that would allow an organization to replace that process and put it on steroids without needing a software developer. So instead, that person's coming to fix your dishwasher. They could have quickly and easily replaced that work order process, not just with a complete digital version of the data collection, but imagine this. He's come in. The worker started his process by opening up 
taking out his, his iPhone or a Samsung Galaxy tab or a tablet, and he sees what he's going to go do for the day. And so, and it's pre-filled in, so he doesn't have to fill in the customer's name again. He, he shows up and he starts collecting the work he's done. Maybe he's taking pictures of the work he's done now too. Like, hey, by the way, I'm replacing your dishwasher. Here's the old dishwasher. Here's the new dishwasher. And then at the end, instead of filling out a, you know, sitting at your dining room table uh, and trying to figure out the parts, the prices and the parts and, you know, writing down all the stuff he's done, he's been doing it along the way. Maybe some of it's been pre-filled in. And all he's doing now is collecting a signature. And he collects the email address of the homeowner. Now, the homeowner would have gotten a yellowed form back of, hey, this is, this is the work I've done. You probably can't read it. Just shove it in a, in a folder. I'm sure someday you may want to look at it. With Canvas, you get a digital version back. The digital version is interactive, though. So the customer, our customer, could have shared with their customer a digital version. Hey, by the way, we were showed up today. This is what we fixed. This is how much it cost. We fixed and replaced your dishwasher. By the way, here's a video on how to best maintain your dishwasher. Hey, uh, as well, why don't you come check out our website? Here's a digital coupon for maintenance on your dishwasher. Uh, come leave us a review on Angie's List. Please like us on Facebook. Um, and hey, you've got this digital receipt, but don't worry. We've filed a, 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 you know, one in the cloud for you, so you want to see the entire history of everything we've ever done with you. It's available at My Canvas. So our customers' relationship with their customers changes dramatically, and our customers get back their information real-time digitally um, and and potentially plugged right back into the systems that are important to them, the accounting systems, ERP systems, warehouse management systems, whatever that might be. And again, without the need of a developer. So that's one example. Um, but we work in something like 32 industries, 105 sub-industries. Uh, so whether it's the dishwasher guy or someone inspecting something, selling something, those types of engagements become digital and improved. Um, we can do things like workflow and dispatch. Uh, you can barcode scan parts and you know, come back with the price of something. And again, without having to go build your own custom piece of software needing developers or having to buy something that was maybe built for your industry but not very customizable, all of those things um, built on a very, very simple but powerful platform. And on top of that, our customers have shared some of the apps they've built on our platform, which you can have access to. Um, not all of our customers share, but some do. And we've got over 19,000 pre-built experiences uh, in our application store. So if you want to find out what, a, what that plumbers are doing when they replace dishwasher, you could actually find a whole bunch of those apps pre-built. And because they're built on our platform, they can be completely customized. Um, so that's that's effectively what, what, what Canvas does. And now we've got 54,000 paid subscribers plus and something like 70, 73 countries, um, um, which is fantastic. And most of our growth comes from word of mouth and search engine optimization, people finding finding this. And now people are searching for Canvas too. Yeah. 
So, so that's Canvas today. Let me ask about Canvas's beginnings. You were named Entrepreneur of the Week by the Center for Innovative Technology not long ago, and one of the pieces that you and you shared some tips for entrepreneurs in an interview on their website. One of which was fail fast and iterate often. So, is the company that Canvas is today that you just described wildly different from what you envisioned it being when you first started, or pretty close to that original vision? You know, it's very, very similar. And I think actually, this this is a nice circular element back to um, back to um, the corporate why. So imagine because we started with that feeling even back then that uh, you know we believe that if organizations you know could more dynamically collect and share information, it changes how we connect and how we learn about our companies. When we think about that, then when we offer these new features and expansions off of the original offering, it feels very similar. It feels like, okay, that's exactly. Now, if we'd started with the company, hey, we're, we're the company that builds laptops, you know, and uh, we build the most powerful laptops at the, at the best prices, and then we were offered a phone, well, that would seem very different. Like, wow, we pivoted. It would probably feel uncomfortable for the company. It would probably confuse customers or make us have to educate customers in a different way. But because we started in that fashion, not just being the guys who, I don't know, digitizing paper forms, for example, that um, actually, funny enough, I, I feel really confident, even though we've been around for a while, that um, what we've done has felt just like an ex- just a continued extension or growth of what we wanted to achieve um, versus us pivoting somehow. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I think We've done that, I think, fairly authentically. Um, it doesn't mean that our features don't sometimes surprise or delight a customer, and get, but I think they expect it. They ex- expected these things, and it, it doesn't, let's say, surprise them going, wow, I didn't expect that from them. Our surprise and delight is hopefully, wow, this is this is this is delighting me from delivering something that's just further extending and, and surprising me on what I can do now. Not so much that, wow, I didn't, I, this is not, this doesn't feel like canvas. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let me ask you about the co-working space that you're a co-founder of. It's called refraction and it's based in Reston. One of the core benefits that's listed on the website is quote, innovative research is integrated seamlessly into the space allowing you to interact with it and adopt it organically science via osmosis giving yeah. giving you an edge so that sounds amazing uh, but what does it mean in practice yeah no that's a good that's a good question and it's um, you can actually see some interesting overlap between the two brands albeit uh, I will say the um, refraction started as um, an ongoing experiment and has been developing over the years. And, um, uh, right now refractions in the, in the process of being more fully, um, split off from canvas to, to let it live its own life, but it's tag phrases, experiments and collaboration. And so what does that, that line mean is that, um, um, you can imagine just even probably hearing me now or, or reading some of the things I've, I've written that, uh, I'm a, I'm a metrics junkie. Um, and, um, as well, love elements of, of research, which comes down to just 
not liking assumed truths, right? We, we don't like assumed truths here and we try to challenge them. So one of the things we had um, picked up on was we wanted to create a co-working space that um, put culture ahead of, of strategy um, and that took best practices um, for organizations who wanted to go through hyper growth or wanted to continue to grow their organization um, and to do so in a way in which, hey, when I get to the end of this growth or when I move on, I've actually picked up some things that are going to help my company. So we could have done that in one of two ways. We could have done a whole bunch of events in the space and tried to educate you on, let's say, um, I'll use one example, um, uh, how you collaborate within your company is going to dramatically impact innovation, right? So maybe that's the premise, which it is. Um, and so we could have done an educational event where we're going to teach you, hey, you should, you should better collaborate when you do. Innovation um, will be more timely, more disruptive to, to those around you, uh, will delight your customers. Or we could have tried to design the space where by the sheer fact of how the space was organized or how meeting rooms are set up or how people sit, that you would find that you're going to collaborate more. And when you do, you would see the natural elements, wow, we're innovating more. And so things like, and some of them seem very simple, but they were, they have been well thought out, is that, hey, when we collaborate more openly and more transparently, we take in the thoughts, feelings, and input from different groups who normally wouldn't be part of this collaboration process, and therefore we're going to be more innovative. So it could be something as simple as, you know, by putting more whiteboards out in the hall versus in offices, what happens is we are forced to collaborate um, in an open fashion whereby someone walking by may offer their, their input, someone who not normally wouldn't have provided input, and suddenly we're going to be more innovative. And that, I'm sort of simplifying this, obviously, for this example. But it, it, it represents sort of an example of, hey, we could have done a course on this and an open event and brought experts in, and not to say we wouldn't do that too, but how about if we embed those components where you're going to see the benefit of them? Because it's going to be built into how the space is designed. And, and this becomes an open experiment, an ongoing experiment, and why, again, the tag phrase is experiments and collaboration, where, you know, everything from um, how, you know, what type of chairs we put in certain conference rooms and, and you know, the size of meeting rooms and, and, and things like that are really experiments and, and, and how we want people to feel through this. Uh, process so that when they leave, they're going to take the best of this and, and put it into their companies. So um, to do that, you got to invest in research. And instead of just, hey, we're going to have a co-working space and we're going to sell seats and we're going to bring in people to pitch to you and we're going to have parties. So um, the, the, the gal who runs this, um, our managing director of um, Refraction, uh, her name's uh, Rachel Stott. Rachel is at the heart, the, 
you know, first and foremost, she's a researcher. And so she's someone who's spent now years researching elements of collaboration, uh, innovation, uh, you know, how people work together, um, not just in a space, but in a city and is, is continuing to insert these elements into the design of our space, which we're actually in the midst of, um, uh, going through a, a dramatic expansion. Um, we're going to be relaunching here, um, sometime early in the second quarter, our new space and have uh, more than, um, twice the amount of space as we had before, um, for refraction and, and hopefully taking in a whole bunch of other new startups who want to participate in this experiment. Very nice. Congratulations. Uh, thanks. Okay. Last question. If, if my internet stalking, if I remember stalking you correctly on the internet, you're a big artist and musician. Uh, David Bowie passed away overnight last night. Is there any music that you listen to that you draw inspiration from when you're trying to kind of come up with the next creative direction for your company? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll correct you in that. I am, uh, let's say, jealous of, uh, of artists and, and musicians <laughs> and... Uh, so I, I, I would, uh, I'll, I'll say that I, I certainly in a dream world, I, I, uh, probably, um, would, 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 would love to be an accomplished, uh, musician or artist. Uh, and we take a lot of inspiration from music and art. Matter of fact, refraction at one point in canvas workspace was a working art gallery. We, we've experimented with things like that. And, and, and by the way, partially, um, because, uh, you know, how do we experience technology, right? And I think certainly I'm overusing the Apple metaphor, but but great technology can, uh, we can all build some wacky, crazy stuff that's going to solve a big problem. But uh, if you don't want to experience it, uh, if that interface between the technology and you is horrid, you're not going to pick it up. You're not going to want to use it. And so I think we're, we're quickly learning now as a society, certainly as an industry, technology industry, that it's it's about the interface, stupid, right? So it's it's all about the the line between the technology and the person, or the technology um, and picking it up, and wanting to use it, is art, right? It's user experience. It's 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 the interface, and um, so and and that's heavily influenced by. Um, by artists. And so we, we try to experiment with that. Um, and, and, and to the point where we've got some, and had artists come in and speak. Um, we, we've got a whole artist series that we're developing for this year. Um, I, I've got my own likes and, uh, I'm a little older. So someone like David Bowie, I'm a huge, um, Ziggy fan and, um, uh, was certainly saddened to, uh, to hear about, um, uh, David Bowie's passing, but, um, you know, I, I definitely draw, uh, my own corollaries back to the prog rock, uh, days when, uh, music was very experimental. Um, I think you see a little bit, maybe less of experiment within music. Now that might be me speaking to me from my age, but certainly the whole progressive rock movement was all about experiment. Uh, and then, you know, that, you know, a song could be three minutes or a song could be a side of an album, you know, back then. Um, so I, I, I still look heavily to that. Um, and, and, and 
we, beyond my own personal uh, proclivities for the music, is that um, you know we're trying to find ways in which um, art has a, a way for it to sort of um, cultivate through, um, even based on the generation of the worker here, through everything we do. Um, and it's it's cool ongoing experiment. And I, again, one in which we're in our new space, we're building a black box theater. And part of it, not only because we need a bigger space to do larger events for our own company, but, um, but part of it is we wanted to be able to bring in more eclectic uh, speakers, not just the typical people you'd expect to talk about, I don't know, how to raise money, but, um, but to be able to have a, a musician come in. And, you know, what would their influence be on technology, right? I, I think I'll end this whole statement with saying the, you know, original Mac you know, what we look back at that, although be it, it wasn't at first a financial success, people would definitely look at it as, as a uh, design success, is that the reason why that product was successful, at least one of those reasons, was that the people working on it were not just software developers or, you know, back then it was, um, you know, CS degree you know, computer science degree people who developed thing, developed software was that those people were also poets and uh, calligraphy experts and they were musicians and they put a sense of art and culture into the product. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm hugely influenced by that. And uh, maybe in my second lifetime, I'll, uh, I'll actually become an artist or a, a, a musician, but uh, probably not this go around. <laughs> Nice. Well, fortunately for you, James, you are a successful technology executive. So uh, you're you're doing well in this life, and uh, who knows what what the second life will hold. But thanks so much for joining us today to talk about the corporate why. Really appreciate you coming on. All right. Thanks, and uh, it was a pleasure speaking with you today. All right. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about James Quigley, you can follow him on Twitter at at James underscore Quigley. You can visit the Canvas website at www.gocanvas.com and you can follow them on Twitter at at GoCanvas. Thanks once again to James Quigley for joining us this week and thank you for joining us this week. Now, if you're a loyal listener of the Innovation Engine, you may have been wondering, where the heck have you been since the last episode? Well, we went on Christmas vacation for a few weeks And we've also been spending some time in the studio tinkering away on a brand new audio endeavor from Three Pillar that I'm very excited to be giving you a sneak peek of next week here on the Innovation Engine. The new endeavor from Three Pillar is called Take Three, and it will be a forum where my coworkers discuss the trends, technologies, and tools that are changing the way products and entire companies are built in the digital age. We'll talk about topics that influence the way technology-powered products are conceived, designed, developed, and launched. So tune in next week. You don't want to miss it. Now this brings me to another point, the publishing schedule for the Innovation Engine in 2016. You may have recently heard that Serial is moving to a bi-weekly publishing schedule, and we're going to do the same. So rather than publishing episodes every Monday, We'll be hitting you every other Monday with the same great content you've come to know and love. So tune in next week for Take 3 and tune in the following week 
when the Innovation Engine will be back with the head of the World Bank Group's Innovation Labs, Adarsh Desai, to talk about innovation and international development. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. The Innovation Engine podcast is recorded, produced, edited, and published each week by Three Pillar Global, a product lifecycle management and software development company based in Fairfax, Virginia. To learn more about the company or our services, please visit our website at www.3pillarglobal.com.